Hey everyone, thank you for joining us today. We actually have a special edition of Building Blocks because we are super excited to bring you um, the latest and greatest information in an ebook form. So we'll have several people on the webinar today who maybe aren't familiar with each reform. Um, you know, maybe you're on this. Uh, conference call today as um, a way to learn more about what we do and so we are excited to bring you that information first of all the name of the book is keep it off the three-step formula to losing weight and keeping it off forever so I am going to turn it over to mr. Paul Nobles to talk to us about um, you know how he came to writing this book and the concepts behind it um, your turn Sure. So one of the things that I think is is sort of interesting, if you ever look at the content, um, and we also have Dr. Brad on the the call as well. So the 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 basic scenario of how this um, webinar slash podcast is going to go is I'm going to give you kind of the overview of how each reform happened, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about how we described that process in seminars early on and really kind of the, the big picture um, point of view from my perspective. Then Susie's gonna go over her chapter, which is a great, um, a great way to look at habits from the Eat to Perform perspective, right? And then we'll of course have Dr. Brad come on and really talk about kind of the, the book itself, give you kind of the, the taste of what it is about. And, uh, but, you know, I was thinking about this today when I was putting up some uh, some content on the site, and we were I, I got a question from a member, and they were asking about kind of this latest hits of of um, quick fix ideas that you know we're all bombarded with on a daily basis, and then you know I started thinking to myself, um, I wonder why that person doesn't expect me to do that. And the reason why I don't do that, um, well, one, I think it's important to what we're trying to do as a scientific-based company, but I think you can attribute that to Brad, right? The reason why I hired Brad is to hold me accountable and Susie accountable and all the e-perform coaches accountable so that when we say something, it ends up being you know, based in fact, rather than kind of our opinions and things of this nature. And don't get me wrong, there's some things that we're going to say that, you know, might be slightly controversial and Brad will come at me at that point and say, hey, we might want to dial that back a little bit. But I want you guys to all understand that as you're reading this book, we, we, we've, we've kept it under $10. Um, so it's going to be very um, purchase friendly so you can get this information. You know, one of the big reasons why we wanted to to do this in the first place is because people often ask, what's the big picture idea with each form, right? And um, and how am I going to lose weight over time? How am I going to lose weight when I'm adding food back in? How am I going to be able to kind of sustain this process over time? And so I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, we also have case studies. And so... I'm going to probably bring up, we'll see how, how much time we have, um, but I have a great case study that, that I just recently finished a few hours ago of a client that lost over 90 pounds. And what you'll really see is kind of how my brain thinks as we are coaching these clients, right? And what I'm pretty sure you're going to see when you're listening to the ones that I'm doing, the one that Brad's doing, um, is you're going to really see just a different thought process than really anything that you'd ever considered because the focus isn't just on the suffering as much as possible, as long as possible, without you know trying to normalize things a bit and really get to that point where you're making progress both when you're eating and then also on those occasional moments where you're doing fat loss. So um, just kind of a general overview of, of why this book came about 
This is actually kind of a recreation of a book from the past. And what I would do in live seminars, and I probably did somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 15, which is um, Brad would refer to as light work. Um, he probably does that in a month. Um, but in those 10 to 15, you know, I would go to various health facilities or various gyms or whatever, and I would walk through them through this process of, you know, how you start a fat loss cycle, right? Because let's be real, most people that are going to look for any type of diet intervention, they're probably overeating at that moment. They're not super motivated, as an example, to come to us when they're under eating, right? But that is somewhat, you know, uh, there's scales to all of that. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we go, right? But in general, you know, the focus is going to be in, in the beginning, the fat loss phase, right? And then what's interesting and, and, and really a big addition that when we had the seminars, we did not have this piece in, in place. It was actually something that Brad put in and he'll, he'll talk more about that um, in his piece. But then there's the fat loss phase and then what most eat to form know, eat to form members know as the adaptation prevention phase. And what adaptation prevention phases do is it allows you to kind of get your willpower back, right? It allows you to kind of normalize things and maybe set up another fat loss cycle or potentially reverse out of fat loss altogether, right? And then just kind of work into the normalization part. And we'll talk a little bit about that. One of the things I always went over when we were doing live seminars was the concept of maintenance and why we're really not big believers in maintenance. And the reason why we're not big believers in maintenance, <laughs> right? So you have a plan and within that plan, of course, you know, you're going to under eat to kind of get rid of some stored bodily fat. And then you're going to normalize at some point. And so when you normalize, there's weight gain and then there is weight fluctuation. And what I think, and this is one of the reasons why I think maintenance is sort of this myth, is that people often mistake weight fluctuation with um, weight gain. And so if, as an example, you know, they wake up and their weight is 134 pounds, right? And then the next day it's 134.4. And then they come to me as a coach and say, my weight is steadily going up. And it's like, well, the plan is really meant for your weight to fluctuate, right? Where you have kind of this calorie average that is going to either allow you to be in a deficit or allow you to do great work so that you're building muscle over time. Right. So that's the general. So when we talk about the three phases, right, we're talking about fat loss. We're talking about that that middle part. That's always kind of that gray area um, that that people need to work through. And then, of course, we're talking about kind of that phase where things are normal, where weight is fluctuating, but not necessarily going up. So I'll end on this note because this was one of the things that and then I'll hand it over to Susie. But this was one of the things that I always brought up in seminars. And people would ask me, how do I lose weight if I'm getting food? And I think for the good majority of the people, especially six years into this, that answer is you probably don't, right? Now, there are definitely in instances, and, and we, we always talk to people about this, that um, like, for, for instance, in the case study that I went over with um, Karina, what you'll see is that she lost weight with food, right? Because now going from workouts that weren't particularly gangster to now like these amazing workouts where she's kind of gradually worked on getting better as a human being and adding work capacity and things of that nature, your work capacity can allow for you to build a deficit and lose weight over time. Is that really how it works for people in real practice? 
I would say probably 25% of the time, especially if people are, um, you know, have a lot of fat to lose, that that they would fall in the Karina example, where they could definitely lose weight as calories are going up, and then we set up these kind of more dramatic fat loss cycles. The other part where, and, and the other part that I think, and this is where I think kind of this whole maintenance myth needs to be sort of debunked is that your weight is going to fluctuate. And, you know, we all know that there's time periods, you know, like the holidays or vacations or things of this nature where weight might drift up three to five pounds. And I think that that's another myth that we sort of need to kind of debunk, right? Is that weight management of let's say three to five pounds is not necessarily fat loss, right? We're not really talking about trying to have vascular, you know, um, arms or veins at the bottom of your abdomen where you're, you know, focused on these really extreme results, really, you know, we're really more talking about kind of managing weight as you go. So even in this process, you probably will be looking at some weight management throughout this thing. But when we talk about the three-step formula, when we talk about, you know, this process, like Brad says, forever, you know, um, I don't know. Did I say that right, Brad? Um, but you're, you're, you're close enough. We'll give it to you. I, I was close enough. I, I, I didn't get my New Jersey on. But, um, but when we're talking about, really kind of a forever approach. What we're really talking about is staying kind of really weight stable as it relates to fluctuation or even as weight starts to go up, looking for an opportunity to manage your weight. I don't really consider that a fat loss cycle per se, right? Um, so I just wanna kind of keep that in mind, right? Where, you know, as you normalize, is it normal for weight to go up after the holidays a little bit? and then maybe just run a short little mini cut or something like that. Absolutely. You know, and as long as you're realistic about that, you'll be able to kind of deal with this type of stuff forever. I think the good majority of people are really managing their weight rather than kind of, you know, like the, I got to see my spleen approach, right. That, you know, I mean, if anybody's on Instagram, you know, you, you recognize that, that piece. So I'm going to hand it over to Susie. And she's going to talk a little bit about habits. My dog might be barking in the background, so I'm going to mute for now. Awesome. I do want to hit real quick uh, before I go into ab habits that the key to, to this book, when you ask about, you know, all the other weight loss books on the market um, is the keep it off part. Right. So what Paul is talking about is managing weight over time, um, because most diet books or most diet programs will give you a recipe for the weight loss piece. Um, and then what happens when, um, you know, the weight loss piece is taken care of, or, you know, maybe like Paul's saying, you go on vacation or it's Christmas or, you know, something like that, and you want to eat more. So what this program does is, is gives you the ability to have periods where, um, you know, you lose weight and then you maintain, or like, you know, Paul says you weight fluctuate for a period of time and you are able to enjoy periods of um, increased performance and, and focusing on, on lean muscle gains and things like that, um, as well as just enjoying certain, um, you know, anniversaries and holidays in your life um, without having to focus on the weight loss piece, um, you know, somewhat obsessively <laughs> for years and years. Um, but my part, um, I, I wrote a little section on habits, how those are important to your long term success, um, how they build over time and also help you manage weight. Um, so um, specifically, I'm not going to go into you know everything that I wrote, but um, a couple of the highlights. Uh, I think anytime we talk about habits, we need to talk about identity. Um, how do you define yourself? Um, you know, you have to make your goals align with your behavior. Um, and anytime those are out of line, um, you're going to struggle. Um, so if you decide that I'm somebody who is who will lose weight or can lose weight, 
Um, that's much easier than identifying as somebody who struggles to lose weight. <laughs> and that's all sort of in your mind, right? So um, surround yourself with people, you know, who are all trying to do the same things. Um, I think that's why the Eat to Perform community is so great. Um, you know, we have a, a Facebook group. Uh, we also have your your coach that often becomes one of your best friends. <laughs> and I don't say that lightly. I have a lot of clients who um, who I actually think about on the weekends and think about during my time off because, you know, I do feel uh, a connection with them. And so, you know, you have somebody in your corner. Um, the accountability that you get with something like like a program like ours is fantastic. Um, and then, you know, I would say anytime you're create, going to create new habits, you're going to, to fail at some point or, or, you know, mess up. And all of those things are are just a part of the process. And so, you know, with us, there, there's never any guilt or shame. Um, it's just start over. Right. Um, and then some other things that we talk about how to, you know, make your habits more automatic, how to design your environment to keep you on track um, and then you know how to uh, provide reward system for yourself um, you know so it's not like um, you punish yourself until you lose 20 pounds you know it set up rewards for yourself along the way it rewards for consistency um, rewards for um, you know I tracked five days this week so you know maybe I get to go have that you know extra mocha double chocolate latte. I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm not a Starbucks drinker, but you know what I'm saying. So little small rewards along the way um, to help. And then, you know, what's the long term, um, you know, impact of, you know, tracking your results, tracking your food, tracking your habits? Um, you know, how how do you stick with it uh, for years? <laughs> I've literally been tracking my macros for, I don't know, four years now, and, and it's not a chore. Um, it's just something that's become a part of my life. So we talk about that in the book, um, you know, and how to how to stack things in your favor. Right. So we can give you a program. We can give you all the tools and the resources to do that. But but how do you set yourself up, you know, to to create the lifestyle that will ultimately make it easier for you uh, over time? So that's basically what the habits piece is about. Um, I want Brad to kind of get into more of the science of the book. We are a science driven company. I think Brad can speak to the data that we used to come up with the program that we have to come up this, with this process. This isn't based on one or two individuals, just so you know. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to Brad and let you talk about more about, um, you know, your role and how we use data to come up with this program. Awesome. Thanks, Susie. So, man, there's just so many places to start this conversation, um, especially with this book. And so I kind of want to start almost like as a, a story, so to speak, right? Um, and we'll kind of start at the beginning and then we'll talk about how we got here. And uh, Q&A now or later? No, um, I just wanted to say, like, people, if they have questions, um, go ahead and get those in right now so we can kind of address them as we start to close up. Okay. Yeah. So there's kind of a, a few pieces. So when I came to each perform, um, I kind of brought with me a, a background and a knowledge base. You know, I primarily worked in metabolism, diabetes, weight loss, kind of both as a, from a clinical research perspective and from like a hardcore basic science biochemistry perspective. And some of the really big things that we know from probably about, oh, at this point, almost 80 years of scientific research is, one, almost any large reduction in caloric intake, regardless of what your dietary approach is, works for losing body mass, right? Um, what, and any approach you can do that substantially restricts calories immediately results in a large amount of body weight loss. Um, with that body weight loss comes consequences, right? Um, there's losses in uh, body fat, but there's also losses in lean mass. Um, there's changes to metabolism, right? We'll, we talk about metabolic adaptation in this book. I'm going to dive into that a little bit deeper. Um, but that comes with all those things. Um, on the flip side, as you start to eat more food, whether it's, you know, from a large deficit 
or you're just currently where you're at and you're eating more food, your body also adapts that way, right? So you have metabolic adaptation down and up, um, and your body mass itself has changes down or up depending on what you eat um, and how much or not what you eat, but how much you eat and kind of what your your level of physical activity is with it. Um, and so when I came to each perform, kind of my view of the dieting world was everybody's approach is how can I manipulate things to just make people consume as few amount of calories as possible over a long period of time. Um, and what we know from that 80 years of scientific research is in every approach that's been tried using that, you have a drop in weight and then over a span of even just about a year, most of that weight comes back. Um, and we see that with every research study that's been done. Uh, we see that with every dietary intervention program that's been done. And so when we design how we approach things with Eat to Perform, we wanted to set out on a mission of how do we get this initial weight loss that we can see from most approaches, but how do we structure it to where those losses maximize our body composition? And then how do we sustain that over a long period of time? So we use a lot of the scientific literature to build this theory of how we would approach it, right? We looked at the weight loss trials. We looked at the weight regain trials. We looked at exercise studies. We looked at all these sorts of things. And we put together a picture um, in our head probably, you know, five, six years ago. And we kind of painted a roadmap. Um, and then we set out to testing that roadmap. And we've tested it on about 20,000 clients at this point. We have 50 million data points, um, which if you think about uh, one of our one of the people in this space, I'm um, kind of published a, an email on the type of data they have. And they, they, they were talking about 1 million data points, right? So we really have 50 million data points that we've tested this idea on in when it's followed as it's prescribed the theory matches what we see in the real world almost perfectly. Um, we were in a meeting the other day and I shared a graph from the book um, and a graph of one of our clients. And it was literally like if you overlaid them, that's exactly what we saw. So the book is- Can I interrupt for just a second, Brad? Um, sure. don't, don't forget what you're saying, but what you just said, there was no app at that point. There was no, there, there was an idea. Right. And so what you're what Brad is saying is, is that when I was in live seminars writing these graphs, um, I had an idea of what it would look like. And all of our clients are the ones that are, are proving that idea. The other thing that I wanted to because I feel like it's getting skipped over a little bit and I definitely do not want it skipped over. When Brad talks about the data, the AP phases came out of that data. Right. One hundred percent. You know, when we started collecting more data, well, we started to figure out or at least what Brad figured out um, was that if we added those those phases in, people could be more compliant and then they could go lower as a result. So um, but I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I felt I felt like those two points were important. Yeah, no, but it's interesting that you bring that up, because the reason we made that adjustment that was about a year ago, I think. Um, we made that adjustment was because some new studies had come out and I was reading them and I was like, this is what we see in our clients. Let's try this adjustment and see how it bears out. And it bared out just like we had thought. Um, so the book is really structured in kind of a, really, I think about it in three sections. Um, the first is the first, there's seven chapters and then case studies in the book, but we kind of have it broken into three main ideas. The first is, it's really just a primer on how your body actually works, right? Virtually every, every approach that people try to put in mass media, they just start, they start at the, the wrong end of the spectrum. They're, they say, this is what you can't eat, here's how you, you keep, this is what you do for the rest of your life, and that's it. So we start on the other end of the spectrum. We say, here's how your body works at a fundamental level. Here's all the pieces you need to know about you now you have the keys to control your body, right? And we really believe that that's the first place to start. So we start there. Um, and then this, the next section of the book really walks you through, you know, the, the main pieces of our approach, right? So we walk you through um, the periods where we work on 
improving the aspects of your metabolism in your body that make weight loss over the long term optimized, right? So we talk about NEAT in the book, we talk about lean muscle mass, we talk about how you should view exercise in terms of, you know, uh, a stimulus instead of just a calorie expenditure and how important understanding that is. Can you tell people what NEAT is? Yeah, so NEAT is uh, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, so N-E-A-T, and that really is, it's just the amount of energy you expend in a given day being physically active in non-structured exercise, right? So whether that's, um, you know, walking around, whether it is, you know, even fidgeting, standing versus sitting, pacing around the kitchen, um, any of those things is considered NEAT. Um, and that actually plays a very large role in total daily calorie expenditure, in weight loss and regain studies, um, in weight maintenance over lifetime. So it's a really big piece. And we talk about that um, and kind of how much of a percentage it matters, how you can influence it, um, and which parts of your journey it matters more than others. So we really dive into those details in the book and really give you kind of a prescription of how to think about NEAT. We also kind of give you ideas for how to go from where you are to where you should be um, to optimize that for, for your journey. So we, we talk about that piece and we kind of break it into really four main components and we spend a decent amount of time in the book explaining each piece. Um, whether it's, you know, how do you think about exercise? How do you think about your basal metabolic rate? So what's your metabolism doing when you're just sleeping or, uh, you know, binge watching something on Netflix? Like what's your body doing? And then, you know, the neat piece and then kind of the thermic effect of food piece. So we talk about how to optimize each of those pieces. Um, and then the next piece, you know, one of the big questions that everybody has all the time is how is my metabolism adapting? Um, and most people don't really do a good job of explaining it, right? Kind of a lot of times people will say, as you diet, your metabolism slows down, and that's kind of the end of the story. So we, we try to, in the book, really give you guys power over that idea of you control how your metabolism adapts. Um, Here's how much that actually means in terms of your ability to succeed or not. And here's what you do to adjust it. And here's how this approach optimizes that through periods of weight loss um, and then, you know, periods of kind of adaptation um, and expansion. So we really talk about how to cover that. And then. Brad, oh, I just want to say, too, and we get a lot of people who come to us thinking that their metabolism is, is broken or maybe they've spent so many years dieting that, that now, you know, they can't lose weight. So I just wanted to hit a little bit on, on addressing that part of metabolism piece that, that no one is, no one is broken <laughs> per se. Um, and how, you know, we kind of explain that as we go through it. So. Yeah. So nobody's metabolism is ever broken. If it was broken, you'd be dead. Like that's really the best way to describe it. Um, but the thing is your metabolism always adapts. So if you've been eating 1,200 calories for 20 years, your metabolism has adapted to surviving, functioning, doing whatever you need to do on that. But it also adapts the other way. Um, so as you start to put pressure on your metabolism to change in the positive direction, it will change. Um, and so those are, the, those are the pieces there. So just to give you an example, there, there, this was from a podcast that we did years ago where um, – Someone was talking about a bodybuilder and just how dynamic metabolism is, right? And in this case, um, they were talking about both up and down, right? So as they were going into kind of this bodybuilding prep, the the person um, who I, I'm not going to say the name because I I don't know that it was specifically that person, but um, it might be Eric Helms. Um, but anyway, long story short, is that uh, the person that might be Eric Helms, his metabolism um, went to about half, right, when he was doing bodybuilding prep, like within two weeks. And so what he was doing was measuring it in a lab where they put like this uh, mask over you. And it gives you a much better feeling than any any of these things that are like a you know, bathroom scale or, or something like that. But then they also did it as the food came back. And and very quickly, 
metabolism also came back. And so what I want everybody to understand, and I think it's a really, really good fit to kind of Susie's overall idea. And, it, you know, you don't want to go into like the woohoo realm, right? But, you know, let's be honest, the more you kind of believe something, the more you structure your life around that. And if you believe that your uh, metabolism is dynamic because it is, you know, then you structure your life in a way that allows for you to be in control. I think Brad kind of summed that up perfectly. And I just want to emphasize that is that um, that was a little bit of what I talked about with Karina's case study, right? And the case study is actually a really interesting part because, you know, the case studies, we, we do those for our courses, right? So that's going to be a, a part that you can buy as part of this book. And I would encourage all of you to buy those because we literally walk you through this exact same way that we walk e-conform coaches and people that buy our certification. And that's a $500 course, right? So for a couple extra dollars, you'll be able to listen to the exact way that Brad and I think about how all of this works and why it puts you in more empower and why that part that Susie talked about was really, really super important. Yeah, so, so Brad, before we finish up. Yeah, so, so before we go on to the, the final piece where I'll wrap up kind of with the overview and then we'll go to Q&A is, um, I'll put some actual numbers on this adaptation piece. So Paul mentioned, you know, here's, um, this was a paper that was published in the New England Journal and I just pulled up the tables. So what they did is they basically, they took people um, and they stratified them into, we're gonna increase your calories so you gain 10% of your body weight or you we reduce it and you'll lose 10% of your body weight, right? So basically what we see in most people, right? That's a very real world scenario. Um, and they took the people who they added calories to to increase their body weight 10%. Over the span of that study, their metabolism increased anywhere from 700 to 900 calories a day of total energy expenditure, just when they added that much food in, right? That's resting metabolic rate, thermic effective food, their knee, everything increased. Um, the 10% loss saw reductions of 500 to 700 calories a day, right? So your metabolism does adapt, you know, and it's not just anecdotal, we see it all the time in the scientific literature. Um, that's just what happens to a biological system. It's kind of like you go into the gym and you lift weights, your muscles grow, if you stop lifting, you lose all your muscles and you look like me, right? Like that's just, that's just how it happens. Um, so that's just some numbers you guys can use to keep in your head of, you know, how adaptive your body is. And then the last piece of the book is we walk through, you know, the actual fat loss cycles, right? We have over the last three years um, that we've been collecting all this data, we've tested fat loss cycles, we've tested every possible margin of deficit, right? 100 calorie a day deficits, 1500 calorie a day deficits. We've tested four week cycles, eight week cycles. We've tested 12 week cycles. I mean, we've tested everything um, that you can possibly imagine. And our fat loss chapter will walk you through, you know, what works, why we have it structured the way that we have it, um, we'll talk to you guys about, you know, what are the things that we see that differentiates massive success from moderate success? And we just lay it out very prescriptively of here's what to expect. Here's what you should do. Here's how you tackle this. Here's what you prioritize. Um, and so that fat loss section of the book, it's it basically takes all these ideas and puts it into something you can wrap your mind around very easily. Um, and then we close it up with. Uh, the habits-based piece that Susie talked about, and then the case studies, and then we have some references in the end of the book, um, and then and then that's that's the full book. All okay. right. So oh, go ahead, Paul. So um, yeah, well, why don't you kind of um, say what you were going to say, and then I'll mention one last thing, and then we'll get to Q and A. Um, go, no, I was just going to, to say we have a few questions. So go ahead and mention what you're going to say, and then we'll start with questions. So, you know, I know for me, you know, being six years into this, and I feel like everybody kind of knows me, you know, intimately, knows my dog, knows my family, you know. Um, 
But for those that don't know, I lost 100 pounds basically doing this system, right? And and the system that I did wasn't as good as the system that you guys are being introduced to right now. And so, you know, when we look at the idea of putting you in the control, that's a very foreign concept in the dieting world, right? If you um, think of the way that the dieting world works is, you know, they're more or less saying to you, you know, you are broken and we have the answer to, to it. And what we've tried to do for the last six years is to put you in charge, right? And to say that, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into this, right? But at the end of the day, you know, there's going to be some trial and error. But in that process, you will be able to figure out how things work with food as an ally, right? So with that, we'll get into kind of the biggest question that almost we've all dealt with over the last six years. Um, Sheila was asking, she's saying, I'm struggling to want to know how you're sure that this will work for anybody. So I'll have Brad go into kind of the science of that specifically, right? But the basic idea was that the more food you ate, the more it put you in charge. Now, I don't know the specifics of your situation and we can't really go into that on this particular thing, but the way that, you know, whether it, it be someone that's severely obese or whether it be somebody that's already relatively lean, what often happens is, you know, in the case of the obese, we might have kind of an overconsumption scenario or metabolism gets so compromised, similar to what Brad was talking about, where you have kind of like these really obese people that are eating like these really low calories and can't lose any weight because their body is adapted to it, right? So the idea of eat to perform always was and always will be, you know, it's interesting because people will often say, well, and I think that's the basis for her question, is what's the science of eat to perform? Well, the science of eat to perform is, is normal, right? The science of eat to perform is the way you're supposed to work. It's all of these other systems that are constantly trying to make you just eat less that is really not very scientifically based, right? Like if you're just trying to starve yourself to optimal body composition, what I think you're going to find is that, you know, that the, the percentage of people that could make that work, you'd be better off buying lottery tickets and just hoping for the best, right? Like you have to have some level of trial and error and you also have to have, you know, some, um, patience, right? And I think that when you're in charge, right, and you view food as an ally, and you have kind of these longer periods, I mean, because, you know, realistically, unless you're severely obese, I mean, I can walk you through that a little bit, you know, kind of the long and short of it, is that if you're severely obese, um, so let's say that you're a 300 pound female and you're 5'2", right? You would want more frequent cycles to get under 200 pounds, right? That's the way they eat to perform works. But let's say that you're 134 pounds and you're 30% body fat and you wanna get the 20% body fat, what you're gonna find is that you need longer dieting break cycles, right? And so instead of just constantly, oh, you know, my, my weight went from 132 to 133.5, you know, um, and then freaking out and then just under eating, like Brad was talking about, that compromises your metabolism. And so, Brad, did you want to expound on that, or, or do you feel like I covered it pretty well? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd probably add a few things. You know, one is kind of baked into that question is a little bit of this idea that people are different, right? Um, and just just a little bit of background before I answer this. So I've I've been involved in precision medicine projects. I've kind of done the whole personalized medicine all that kind of stuff. Um, and what I would, my first response would be the reason that we can be sure it works for everybody is there has never been a single person in any scientific study who has kind of violated the laws of metabolism and thermodynamics, right? Like 
there's that me that's hundreds of millions of people at this point um and nobody's ever violated it so that's the first thing now the second piece is um how can we be sure it works for everybody is with that being said there's always a path to success um sometimes it's a little bit harder to find for each person but if you kind of stick to the basic fundamental ideas and you put in kind of enough work over a focused period of time I've never seen anybody do that and not see results, um, even in our own system with all of our own clients. So I would say those are two big data points that show you that. Now, are there people who, um, you know, just never really fully commit to things? Absolutely, right? It's kind of like, uh, are there people who make it to medical school and drop out, right? Like, yes, not everybody always graduates from medical school, but, if you if you stay focused and you do all the work and you study and you put in the hours, you will get to the end of the process with a very very good result. Um, so that would be my answer. I also have. Go ahead, Susie. You say yours, and then I'm going to give a, a great example that that came up in the community. Well, and I know we're spending a lot of time on this question, but it is one that we get a lot. So I just want to say we also need to define um, how do you define work, and then what's your timeline. Because if your idea is, will this work, is I want to lose 20 pounds in, in four weeks, then, you know, no, <laughs> you know, or maybe not. Um, but I will say when we when we look at what works, um, I, I coach, I probably have, you know, 150 clients right now. Um, but there's, there's, there's two ways it works in the beginning. And I will say one way it works is that you come in and either you're overeating and now you're cleaning up your diet um, or like Paul said, you were someone who was severely under eating and now by eating the right amount of food, your body starts to let go of weight, um, just based on the fact that now it's getting, <laughs> it's getting what it needs in order to then, um, let go of fat. Um, and the other scenario I see is that someone comes in severely under eating, um, and now we get them eating more calories and weight stays the same or fluctuates within the same range. So anywhere from kind of down two pounds to up three pounds, you know, so you're in that main range, but all of a sudden you are eating, let's just say five to 600, maybe for a male, we're talking seven, 800 more calories a day. Um, and you're maintaining your weight. And to me, that is working, right? Um, because we are then setting you up for a deficit that will work in the future. So um, and that's one of the things that our coaches try really hard to explain. And sometimes we sometimes we do that well <laughs> and maybe sometimes we don't do that as well. Um, but I find there's two definitions of success, um, especially for someone who's new to each perform. So so keep that in mind. And then what is your timeline? Um, because, you know, sometimes when you put these artificial timelines on your expectations, um, you might quit after two months. Um, when it was going to take four months, right? Or it was going to take six months or eight months. Um, so, I mean, that's another thing that, that Brad was saying is, you know, medical school takes four years. <laughs> so, you know, if you quit after a year into it, you know, you're never going to get to that, that end. So I try to get people to let go of the timeline a little bit. So Paul. Well, yeah, if, if I can sell you on the fact that you're broken, I could literally sell you anything as it relates to dollars and you will buy it, right? Because now all of a sudden I'm your single fix for what works. And we just don't believe that, right? We do believe that like, you know, what Susie was saying that your timeline can sometimes work against you. But I also want to give you like a real world example of what success looks like. That's a little different than you might think. So we had a client that, Kind of came to us she had tried virtually every diet out there and one of the things that was really appealing to her right out the gate was the fact that you know she didn't have to diet like right at that exact moment right that that she could actually move to normal she had just started weightlifting at that point and she's now been with us four to five years um she's traveled the world weightlifting um her body fat percentage when she first showed up was roughly 50%, and she was obviously in really, really bad shape. And as she moved to kind of this way of not dieting, and, and to this day, 
you know, she's kind of, she's kind of really changed her life so fundamentally. And from a health perspective, you know, all the signals are right. So even though she uh, has not really lost a lot of weight, I'm going to give you a number that shows you what real progress looks like, right? So she had 120 pounds of lean mass. And then now she has 190 pounds of lean mass, right? And so when we look at the difference in terms of health, you know, when you're carrying around all that weight with not a lot of lean mass, you are much more susceptible to disease. You're more susceptible to all of these things that, you know, people kind of put out there in the atmosphere and we all consume them without any real specifics, right? And so that's a specific of that person. But what Susie was pointing out, and I want to hammer home, is that at any point, this person can flip the switch and we go down, right? Because, you know, what Brad was referring to related to metabolism and the thermic effect of food is that, did I get that right, Brad? Um, the, is the, uh, is that you can't subtract, you know, I have an article on this on the meta metabolic bank account that a lot of, you know, our um, members see, right? But you can't make a withdrawal from a bank for money that you haven't deposited, right? So when you ask me, you know, how do I know this will work? I know it'll work because if you make deposits, you can make a withdrawal. That's how the thermic effect of the food works. That's how metabolism works, right? And so what's happened is you probably spent most of your life working against that basic idea, and this moves you in a direction where food is an ally and you can work the way that your body wants to work, right? And the reality is, is there is no other way. <laughs> you know, um, at the end of the day, you know, the thing that makes any kind of diet more effective you know, is ultimately um, the ability to be able to subtract so you can create that deficit. So I'm going to go to the second question. So in a sense, one should start with muscle gain and proceed to fat loss and not the other way around. Um, I'm going to say that's false, actually, because I would say that there are instances where, um, you know, people might not have realized that they were under eating intuitively. And so they just kind of sort of get frustrated. And then they come to us and go, I just don't get it. I can't lose weight. In that instance, you would maybe want to move to what we call a performance cycle. But, you know, when I think of muscle gain, right, I think of gaining weight. Right. And I, I think that most people, if they're really honest with themselves, aren't looking to gain weight when they join a program like us. And so I wouldn't say that you need to as a result of, of you know, we're, we can kind of go back to that fluctuation idea. But when we get back to that met metabolic bank account idea, I can't subtract from a bank account that you don't have or that you've been kind of withdrawing from for the last 20 years. So in that instance, we might need to kind of boost things a little bit. So, um, but I, I would say from that perspective, every person is a little bit different, even though we just told Sheila that she wasn't. Um, but, but it's just, you're different one way or the other. You, you've either worked towards expanding your metabolism or you have it, right? So if you have it, we just need to get you to working in that direction for a short while, and then we can come back for a deficit, and then there'll be, you know, kind of trial and error with that. But at the end of the day, there is only one way that really works, and that, that's getting from a deficit, you know, after building from a surplus. I can tackle this next one pretty quickly, probably. Yeah, I was going to say uh, this would take like two seconds. Yeah, so... Uh, Verena, I hope I pronounced that correctly, uh, asked, how does NEAT differ from LIS? So just think about it this way. NEAT is kind of this whole daily physical activity that's not structured exercise. And LIS can just make up a piece of that, right? So if you burn 1,800 calories a day from your NEAT and you kind of do some just walking around, you walk to the mailbox, take the dog for a walk, and that's your LIS, that's just a part of that. What does LIS stand for? 
Uh, it stands for low intensity steady state. I was trying to come up with a joke, but my brain doesn't work that fast. <laughs> All right, yeah. Like walking, jogging, light work on an elliptical, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and generally neat, like I said, uh, can be your chores around the house, fidgeting, you know, all those other things that aren't like walking per se. Yeah, trying yeah. to chase the dog and get stuff out of his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> That's also a list in our house. Yeah. phone calls while I'm talking to Brad. Good. Um, okay, next, next one. one. Yeah, I can take that one too. So uh, what's the target audience for this book? Is it more for folks new to ETP or does it also offer new info for people who've been an ETP or for a while? So it it's really for both um, and I'll kind of explain why. So a lot of people kind of know who we are but don't really know exactly what we do or how we do it. Um, this book is kind of the extended elevator pitch for, you know, how we do what we do with our clients. Um, and so it kind of lets them kind of peer behind the veil and go, oh, okay, I understand what they're doing. This makes sense to me. I want to give it a shot. Um, or kind of even just reorients in their mind how they should start viewing their kind of lifelong weight loss journey. On the other side, we also wrote it for current clients because it's hard for us to, like when a client says, okay, well, what's the long-term vision, you know, um, once they sign up, it's, we, we don't have this shtick we can go to of like, yeah, just don't eat carbs for the rest of your life and you'll be cool. It's like, well, we know exactly where you're going mm -hmm. and here is kind of the, the full layout of where you're going, why you're doing it this way and exactly how you're going to get there. So it really is both um, and it fits both audiences. And I think if you took two people, one who is an ETP client and one who was somebody who's just interested they would both read the exact same book and take a little bit different things away from it just because of their perspective. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to take the, the next question because I, I know the answer to it. <laughs> um, but how do you measure the muscle going from 145 lean mass to 190? What form of measurement? So um, it wasn't 145. It was actually 120. She gained 70 pounds of muscle um, over that four-year period. and uh, she was using InBody. Now, there's a, a lot of people, including Brad, including myself, I think we, we've all, um, there was definitely a time within Eat to Perform where, uh, you know, body fat measurements were a much bigger part of what we do and why we do it. And in general, we've tried to steer away from that because people are not objective about that data. But I also think that there's just a lot more to that story. And when you look at the standard deviation as it relates to any any method, you know, in her case, she was using InBody. So even even in the case of InBody, where there, there could be up to a 10% fluctuation, you know, 10% is still only 12 pounds, right? So you would have you know you would definitely be with, with within that standard deviation and still making progress if if it were wrong and she wasn't 190 but she was 178 that would still be a lot of progress um but i think that you know like i i actually know the 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 person asking the question really well because she's one of my clients but when and you know within the eform app and and through various things in our training group and stuff we see pictures and videos of people weightlifting or, or progress pictures. And I think a lot of people think that their problem is a lot worse than it is. Right. And especially when, you know, uh, you know, when I talk about my hundred pounds of, of, of weight loss, right. There's, there's a, there's a three shot of me and the one shot, I'm obviously obese at 255 pounds. And then the um, middle shot, I'm 162. And then the final shot, I'm 162. But the middle shot, I'm 21%. And the final shot, um, I'm 9%. And, and those two pictures were literally taken within six months. Well, what was the difference? It was muscle, right? And so I think that there's a lot of people that see themselves leaning out that, you know, feel their clothes fitting different, 
things of this nature, but they so obsessively focus on this on the scale thing. And you know, sometimes like in the case of you know the person too I'm talking to right now, that trial and error period ends up being a little bit longer than you might think, right? And you know, to her credit, as an example, she's bought in a hundred percent and she's just been amazing in the process. I'm actually she she uh, did one of the CrossFit open workouts, right? And you know, one of the biggest things that people talk about, you know, is this like a you have to be like this super gangster? You really don't, right? We have we have all manner of people doing each perform the science of each perform works, whether you know you're lifting weights or not. But we do believe in in the power of of resistance training to kind of hold on to muscle. Right now, that resistance training might be push-ups, it might be pull-ups, it might be air squats, but really, kind of this life lifetime idea where exercise is is part of this long-term answer related to health, right? Because of course, in the book, we're we're going into body fat loss and optimal body composition, and for some people, that means seeing your spleen, and for some people, that means you know just living a longer, more fruitful life. We look at it from the longer, more fruitful life standpoint, you know? And when I look at the direction that she's been going in and and we've been working on, it's really that longer and, and fruitful life. And and like I said, when, when I saw her workout that she did and how she did it with as little food as she had at that point, um, I couldn't do that. <laughs> And uh, and I'm I'm teaching her. So there's a lot of things that I think, you know, kind of gets back to the Sheila idea um, or well, <laughs> the um, but kind of gets back to the first question. Right. It's like you start with this idea of losing weight and then you kind of end with this idea of an abundant life where you're living longer, more fruitful life. Right. Um <clears throat> So I'll I'll go I'll ask the next question I have not read it so Paul mentioned the book is a newer version of book each released in the past which book um, it's it's kind of a rewrite of the wave method with kind of this um, the um, specifics related to kind of the AP phases and and things of this nature but you know uh, the big one of the really big additions you know, when we wrote the wave method as an example, we didn't have the kind of data that we have now. So we really had to rewrite that book from kind of the groundwork, uh, ground up. But what I think is gonna happen, especially for the people that are ETHERFORM clients, is they're gonna consume these case studies, right? Because the case studies is where we sort of walk you through the mental part of it. and And that's the part that I think really where light bulbs go off, right? So those are the big ideas. For sure. And so Eric is asking, what about excess skin sagging? Is there a way to burn that fat off by ETP or is it surgery the only option at this point? Um, Brad, why don't I have you take that? Um, but I wanna say something before um, you take it, is that I have sagging skin. Um, you can sort of see, you know, I mean, if you're watching the webinar, um, I have 50 man old, uh, what, what's that like a gobbler or whatever, you know, I have, I have sagging skin, you know, and, uh, you know, when you were 255 pounds, um, and, and you lose a hundred pounds, you're going to get a little bit of that. I, I, I was lucky that I lost it in a real slow manner. Um, but there are people that do have to go into surgery, but I'll have Brad talk into that a little bit more. Yeah, so it really depends on a few things. One um, is, you know, the the amount of total weight loss, right? Um, if you lose 25 pounds and you have some sagging skin, um, that typically over time will get better. Um, if you lose 250 pounds, Typically that you know that amount you're probably going to require some level of surgery um, So really it's the total amount you've lost um, And also then how big your body size is so if you lose You know 75 pounds at four foot eight or 75 pounds at 
six foot 10, right? Those are two very different volume changes of your body. And then the other is how, what's your age, right? So your, your skin loses its elasticity. So its ability to contract um, once it's been stretched as you age. So if you're, you know, 20 to 30, um, the elasticity of your skin and its ability to reshape um, is a lot greater than if you're 60 or 70. Um, so it's, it's really those two components. Um, and what I would say is, you know, if it's been a modest amount of weight loss and you have some, you know, kind of excess sagging skin, give it a couple years before you go the surgical route. Um, and then, you know, if it's been a few years, then I would go consult a dermatologist and see what the options are. There is one other thing that I think can kind of um, help, and it's really building muscle, right? And, you know, like as an example, the person that kind of gained all that muscle in the process, you know, she would have had um, more fat. And so if she had lost 70 pounds, that would have been kind of sagging skin. But when you look at her body composition now, she looks very different than she did previous to that. So sometimes filling up that muscle, maybe building, you know, what you'll often see, especially if, if people are coming from like a low carb background or something of that nature, they might have sagging skin. And then, you know, once their muscles start to rehydrate, once that work capacity comes back, now all of a sudden you have a more full muscle look and that will sometimes address, you know, some of the sagging skin. So that's the only piece that I would add to what Grant was saying. Okay, I mean, that's all the questions that we have. Um, and we're right at an hour, so I think we will close. Any uh, last words, Brad? Um, I have three. Buy the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, I think it'll be, very eye-opening for a lot of people. Um, I think it's a lot of uh, informational content put in a very digestible manner. Um, so we tried to keep things as scientifically rigorous but easily readable as possible. Um, so I think people will get a lot of value out of it. I think you'll use it as a reference, like you will continue to come back to it um, as you go through different phases of your journey. I think if you are somebody who's interested in each perform, it'll be an a really good resource for you to understand what you're walking into. And if you're a current client, um, it'll kind of help you both reflect back on your experiences and then also looking forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so, also a good way to explain if your friends are like, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> it's a good way to explain what you're doing. Okay, Paul. Yeah, and so um, the last question actually that just came in in the last minute is how do I buy the book? The book comes out on Monday. Um, we have kind of the... Um, pre-price kind of built in. And so if you're on the opt-in list, and so uh, we actually have it on the on the page where you can just type in that you're interested and then you'll be on that list. Also in the Better Dieting group on Facebook, there is a opt-in list so you can get that um, pre-purchase price. And uh, so yeah, on Monday that'll be coming out and we just wanted to kind of get the word out to everyone before that. So there you go. And I think Brad actually might have just said the opt-in. But um, the, the only thing that I want to say just in closing is that um, the thing that excites me about this book, it really does kind of hammer home in a very simplistic way the uh, overall concepts of what we do, right? And, you know, when I thought back to you know, we can, as coaches, walk you through the process, right? But sometimes it is nice to have that forest view before you start, you know, whacking away at the trees, right? And so uh, that's that's the reason why we rewrote that book, and that's the reason why we are re-releasing it. This is our first book that we've put out in something in the, in the order of about four years, right? Um, so, you know, previous to you know, the app and, and, and the 70 coaches and, and all this stuff, we were really just kind of an information project. And, you know, seeing that information become real life and, and having literally 
thousands of people succeed doing that. Um, having a book that we can just hand you and say, this is what it is, this is why it works. Um, and then, you know, obviously the addition of the case studies really kind of hammers home the specifics of it. So uh, I look forward to everyone that buys the book. I'm really excited about it. I think you guys are going to be surprised that, you know, how reasonable we made that because we want to get it in the hands of as many people as possible. Awesome. And how pretty the book looks. Pretty yes. Pretty. Yes. We've had a lot of people um, that have had a lot of hands in this and we've been working on it for somewhere in the neighborhood of about three months now. Um, so pretty excited to <laughs> sit in the meeting, drag this rotting corpse over the finish line. But uh, it, it really is. It really is kind of a, a labor of love for all of us. So appreciate everybody being here and we look forward to everyone buying the book. Yeah. All right. And, take care. Oh, I was just going to say last but not least. <laughs> um, yeah. So many of you guys, you know, I heard this quote the other day. It resonated with me. Um, you know, telling an, eat per an obese person simply to eat less and move more is like telling a depressed person to just have a nice day. <laughs> Right. There's so much more to the equation than eat less, move more. And that's what this book is about. Um, it's also what Eat to Perform is about. So um, we hope you guys will ask your questions, um, whether through Facebook or, you know, anything else, um, any other ways to reach us. And thank you for joining us. And uh, everybody have a great weekend. Alrighty. Talk to you later.